0: Welcome back to Fathoms, an Enneagram podcast. We're excited to be with you all today. And we have a very special guest. Reverend Claire Lowridge joins us today from Marshall, Michigan. Welcome, Claire. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. So, Claire, we're really excited to have this conversation with you because um, as we've kind of let you in on our our theme for season four is the dynamics of personhood. And so we're wanting to explore these different aspects over the course of our lives and explore different communities of people who maybe sometimes get overlooked in any land, as I like to call it. Um, (laughs) And so we just thought that you would have some really wise things to share with us about the aging process specifically and what it kind of looks like to work through the dynamics of personhood as you're entering the second half of life or the third act of life. Can you talk with us about that?
1: Yeah, definitely the third act.
0: The third act, yeah. Although
1: when you said, oh my gosh. So just so you know, my false self took off when you sent me this note about, uh, about post-retirement. I said, I think I'm in quad uh, <laughs> vocational land right now. And so I don't know if I can talk about post-retirement. And then I recognize that this is the first time anybody's had me come on a podcast to talk about age. So clearly mm. 61 has opened up a whole nother level. Of it's about, a beautiful age. You
2: know? uh, it strikes me that Western culture, you know, and more specifically US culture, really tends to value, as a cultural value, values youthfulness right? And youth. And so I'm wondering well first if you agree with that and then if you do, you know, what impact do you think that may have on this kind of recent surge of popularity within the Enneagram and how we encounter the Enneagram and use it, if you have any thoughts there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I think one of the things that is remarkable to me uh, is the wisdom that some of the younger writers have. Mm. And I feel like that, you know, some of the old folks, if, if they've actually been walking around with people like Jerry Wagner or, or you know, Russ Hudson or Ginger Bogda or Leslie Hirschberger, uh, you know, Bee Chestnut, these, are, these have all been my teachers at, at one time or another. Um, That if we realize that there are those that we want to walk with, you know, um, not uh, see them as um, has-beens, I guess, maybe would be a a word. Um, And, you know, it's interesting. My dad retired at 60 years old because his dad was dying and he had friends dying. And he just thought, oh, I'm just going to go do some fun stuff because I'm probably dying any minute, too. So he retired And at 93, while my dad was still serving boards with Red Cross and, you know, speaking, consulting for different uh, people, um, he said, that was the worst decision I ever made was retiring at 60 years old. Hmm. and uh, But he thought he was going to die. And I think sometimes we're with people who make us feel like you're going to die, mm-hmm. like you know you're yeah. you're you're in you know you're in the third act. I mean you're at the climax. What you, and so I do wonder if um, this kind of conversation isn't what's most needed right now to say what can we be offering one another mm-hmm. in a way to be fully alive mm-hmm. with yeah. both the pulse and maybe you know sage uh, wisdom or second childhood, whatever, but what can we offer each other? How can we uh, together see the inherent value of a multi-generational, a trans-generational Enneagram experience, Mm. uh, medical experience, educational experience? I mean, I think it crosses all of uh, life.
2: Mm. Yeah, I I appreciate you saying that because um, I think one of the things that has kind of fueled a lot of, well, the Enneagram world, right, as Lindsay <laughs> describes it, uh, that has, has really made it grown is um, kind of the reduction of the Enneagram so that it can be scaled out via social media, mm-hmm. right? And so, and it it strikes me that what you are casting a vision for is not something that can necessarily or easily, I should say, be be cultivated in you know in an enneagram or an Instagram you know listicle you know of the nine smoothies for each of the types you know that that sort of thing, right? You're talking about something else, aren't you?
1: Yeah, I, I am. I think, um, well, I'll take you back to 2009. I was with Dr. David Daniels and Mm. he put up an Enneagram harmony diagram and said, you're going to be seeing some things about this in the near future. And when I saw it, there were light bulbs that went off and I just went up and then I started emailing him and, um, asked him quick, have you written a book on this? No, no, maybe it's yours to do kind of a thing. And so, I wrote motions of the soul and then Dr. Jerome Wagner said, I want you teaching this at the IEA conference this year. Hmm. And so, uh, first he tried me out at Loyola. Then he took me to the, you know, he, he took me to the people there and said, let her teach. And, um, and I want to say that, you know, Jerry's an octogenarian and, uh, he's still my favorite teacher out of anybody on the planet i could listen to him talk about sliced bread <laughs> nine ways you know and um and so i think him making space for me and then my seeing people like lindsay who is uh you know in her 30s and seeing what she's doing with the enneagram i loved your book the enneagram of discernment i endorsed mm, it you. i've given it yes. to people i recommend thank you. it i and I just want to say that, yeah, let's keep seeing each other.
2: Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
3: Um, Claire, you mentioned uh, er, earlier in this conversation uh, a quote from Richard Rohr about not introducing the enneagram before the age of thirty, and that that's actually something we 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 did discuss a little bit before having you on um, was potentially this idea that you know handing the enneagram to someone who's not ready to let go of their their ego consciousness or or however we wanna name it is is problematic. I'm, I'm curious, do you think that's a good idea to uh, not let people have the Enneagram before the 30?
1: <laughs> well, I could be wrong and it's mm-hmm. happened on occasion, um, <laughs> but I, I, I do disagree with Father Rohr on that. I love to see the energies and to mm-hmm. celebrate them and name them. Uh, but just not putting a, a number uh, or anything ill fitting that makes someone feel like they have to fulfill a special assignment in mm. that way.
4: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As you've gotten more involved in the Enneagram, like you've wrote so many books, was there a point where you started to feel like more of a like a mentor um, that level instead of just a teacher?
1: Mm. So, you know, the first book, Enneagram Personality Styles, I, I, I lovingly refer to it as a bunch of plagiarism, <laughs> right to be used in in workshops to help me teach the Enneagram on the shoulders of all the greats, right. And, uh, and so and, and it still works in that way. Um, it's kind of in three styles, so it's very bulleted and lovely and quick and 67 pages mm-hmm. and helpful to teach. Um, when Adele Calhoun approached me and asked, would I write a book with her on the Enneagram? Um, I moved into kind of like a, she's kind of like my celebrity crush, um, Mm. person, uh, as a, as a spiritual director, as an author. Um, she was my first spiritual director when, uh, when I was crashing and burning at 40 years old. So when she asked me, I thought, oh my gosh, I think I just grew up. I I might know a recipe or two that I could bring to the you know to someone even as much as my my teacher my spiritual director Adele. So I I do feel like what I have are questions to help people find themselves. I feel like I I have known enough people now that I've discovered through empirical research the kind of practices that can help people find themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, I I guess if I can mentor people, it's to mentor them to pay attention to their own soul um, and to listen to the way the motions of their soul are emerging. So I don't want to tell anybody what to do anymore.
2: Yeah, I love that though, questions instead of directions, right? Mm. Yeah. What would be the,
4: I guess, questions um, to people in the third act of life? And one being the one that is known about Enneagram for a long time and just have been doing the work, but like in this third act of life, what is it that um, would be really great for them to focus on? And then I know there's some people listening to our podcast that just are now learning about the Enneagram. And there's a sense of grief of like feeling like they missed out on some growth, some, some of life, because they were so trapped in their patterns. Yeah.
1: I, I, I think at every stage of life, someone asking you what is most important right now? What has most meaning for you right now? You know, there's a wonderful David White poem that uh, I think is great at, in the third act, um, but also at every stage, you know, he says, One day I will say, The gift I once had has been taken, hmm. and the place I have made for myself belongs to another, and the words I have sung are being sung by the ones I would want. Hmm. Hmm. And so I'm always watching in every stage of life, like, are the words that I sang there, are they being sung by the ones I would want? And can I let go of that and walk into what is mine now? What is most meaningful to me now? You know, I I don't do some of the things I did in a younger body, but there are things that I do in this body that have great meaning for me have great value for me. So asking people, what has meaning for you right now? What's most important for you right now? And let them do that kind of discovery, that excavating of the soul so that they can live fully into it. Mm -hmm. Because what has happened is gone. What we have is here. And uh, I know that I wounded my own life. And the life of other people as a young pastor who said, make bricks with no straw. You know, you don't need to sleep. You don't need to rest. Let's get it done. Just do it. Kind of three energy. And it got great stuff done. And it hurt people, Mm. including my own body. But I can't go back there. But I can say, now, what has meaning here now? How can I show up in my life? And how can I encourage you to show up in your life with what's here Right now, hmm.
0: wow. I'm wondering if you can tell us more about that season of life that you called your crash and burn moment. Can you give us some idea yeah. of what happened there? Yeah, as much as yeah. you'd like to share. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. So my body, I started to go numb in my limbs and diplopia. I had uh, double vision. Um, And so, you know, normally I would just work through things like that and not go see a doctor, but I did. And after spinal taps and multiple MRIs, we discovered I had lesions on my brain and my spinal cord. And so this uh, multiple sclerosis was the diagnosis. And um, I had known uh, dear ones in our family that were in permanent disability or in nursing home Situations as a result of that, so it's pretty scary. And uh, I fell into a retreat center with Ruth Haley Barton. There were twelve pastors there, and uh, and the first the first practice Ruth invited us into was rest. She said, "Now go to bed, put your head on the pillow, imagine that you're laying your head on the on the chest of Jesus." And I'm like, that's not a spiritual practice, <laughs> but you know rest is not a spiritual practice. Like, give me something to do to get over what's happening in my body. And mm. so there was a whole lot of, you know, I'll work through it. Um, you know, fake it till you make it. Uh, Jerry Wagner loves when I say, spin it to win it. You know, like any way I can get myself through this to win, right? And uh, didn't work. And so... Um, that was entering into, uh, from that time on, a quarterly practice of three days of solitude, silence, and stillness, nobody to perform for, nobody to impress, nobody to see how I made the grade, uh, learning those rhythms in my daily life, practicing Sabbath every Monday of my life completely unplugged, or nobody, I can't impress anybody, I can't perform for anybody, And uh, I will tell you that multiple MRIs later and 14 years later, I have no lesions on my brain or spine. So I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what happened. I mean, I can say I, um, they said, well, we can't at uh, eight years, they say something like eight years. We can't say, we can say that you're in remission right now, but when the lesions were gone, it was quite remarkable oh in fact this is what they said they wrote in the in the file her brain is unremarkable now <laughs> i love that you might not always want to have that but that was wow. that's, that's the place to have beautiful. it i'm telling you and and so we wondered if i wore off my myelin sheath in the years of pushing grasping you know getting it done proving myself and hurting my own body uh, and that those years of saying I'm going to have rhythms, I'm going to I'm going to practice. Now, not you know, I'm going to practice. I'm going to write practices, you know, for people to recover their lives and um, and discover their inherent greatness uh, through rhythms of work and rest, solitude and community, silence and word.
3: You know, I was just thinking that sounds like the most amazing memoir. From a type three in the third act of life. Yes. Rest and the unremark and my unremarkable brain.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: That's oh, the next one. I'll have to try to do the forward on it then. <laughs>
4: <laughs> my unremarkable brain. Uh, oh, love that. Yes, I love that oh. story.
1: So I say in mm. community, we become ourselves. You know, it, it, it is your own inner work, but having people next to you that walk with you and want you uh, to keep becoming your magnificent self is, it's just non-negotiable. Yeah,
3: Claire, one thing we wanted to ask you about that is inevitable is our mortality. One thing that came up as we were wrapping our brains around uh, having a good conversation with you was uh, just the idea that w- there is probably some kind of wisdom um, around having a little bit more access to um, our mortality than than maybe we do uh, in our 30s. Uh, so I was wondering if you could just uh, address for our listeners a little bit about what what kind of comes up for you around the... fragility but maybe the strength and the wisdom of what it means to be a little bit potentially a little bit closer to remembering we're mortal
1: (laughs) well that's a great question um and you know some of us face it earlier because of diagnoses um or prognoses uh atul wrote being mortal he's a he's a physician and a f- physician friend of mine recommended that book to me at at one time about facing uh, mortality when i was first diagnosed i said i'm not in denial but i am in refusal just so <laughs> you know okay mm. uh then there was a welcoming the fragility i love that word welcoming the fragility because at all through life were uh were letting go of strength and receiving new strength as my dad would say when he was losing his eyesight well i can't play basketball anymore either but i can sit with my grandchildren i can I i can listen to them in a different way And so I feel like um, the Paschal mystery, the letting goes, that everything goes through this life cycle of death, burial, and resurrection, that I want to keep looking for what is mine to let go of and also what is mine to walk into. And that may be the three's way of a glass, half full, resize the glass, whatever you got to do, right? But I don't think so. I think it really has to do with that I see the seasons of life. I see the, the four seasons and that there is always a fresh uh, seedling that that's emerging and that it would be a good practice for younger people to say, what do I want to quit on wow. Thursday? What is dying in my life mm. so that life can come? Mm. Um, what relationships are no longer serving this fresh season? Um, you know, should I really be playing racquetball? Or uh, my my niece just got done playing, what the heck is the name of that game? Uh, rugby. And it's like, <laughs> and she's shown me, you know, videos of her tackling people. And I'm like, oh, she's going to feel that in her 40s. And, uh, <laughs> but she's having fun now. But yeah. I do yes. think that there are things, ask yourself, what is still mine uh, to live into and what mm. is dying in my life? Mm. Um, what can I let go of in order to live into what is truly mine?
3: Yeah, thanks for that. What, I am curious, um, maybe you've heard it said that humans are the only part of nature that refuses to be who we are. And I'm just thinking about the person that's heading into the second or pr- more likely the the third act, who is refusing it, who mm-hmm. I just, I can't. I, how do, what does it mean? I'm, I'm letting go of like parts of, <laughs> you know, oh, I've been my whole life. Mm-hmm. How do I do that? What would you say to that, that person who's having to let go or being, or being forced into that?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you used the word mortality and I, I love um, just the phrase being mortal. I, I would just say, how can you practice being creaturely? You know, uh, how can you lie down when you need a nap like a cat does? How can you uh, shake it off when you've just been through some kind of trauma um, that you need to let go of and something that you're trying to cling to uh, that is a former part of you to see yourself as God sees you now, Uh, holy beloved, um, separate from your thinking, feeling, or doing self, but your inherent greatness. Mm-hmm. Practice dying now, Seth. Ooh. Like mm-hmm. just see the little deaths that that might be yours to practice. And I, I hate to keep bringing up my dad, but, you know, at 93, my dad was all id. I mean, he was so true self, like no props, no nothing, couldn't see, could barely hear, and just was pure presence to me mm-hmm. and to my husband. We just wanted to go sit with him because he was mm-hmm. pure presence. So I think practicing the letting goes all the way there might make yeah. us the kind of people people want to go visit at the end mm-hmm. rather than, oh, crap, I got to yes. go visit Uncle So-and-So who's going to bite my head off or whatever. Um I think yeah. if we practice dying now, we will will develop the muscle and yeah, and welcome all of it as we you know, we enter not just into the climax but the second birth,
3: yeah, so you're saying the delineator if for people, if you want people to come visit you when you're older is. Make sure you're practicing letting go now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well said. Look how quickly you said that. I'm a little verbose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
4: <laughs> I reminded of a, a mutual friend who um, actually went down and, and interviewed Father Richard Rohr. And off mic, they asked him, "Like, what? What is your? Obviously, you're aware of the end of your life is mm-hmm. coming soon. Like, what? Did, how do you feel about that, or, or something like that?" And he just said, Well, I've learned that over my life, every death has enlarged me. Mm. And yeah, that's just I mean, when you said what you just said, it just reminded me of that. And that that's kind of stuck with mm, me. Wow.
1: I want that to be um, true of me. I'll make that
0: yeah. I'll make that a prayer. You're mentioning letting go a lot. And I have noticed as I've been contemplating this topic that it feels like there's this paradox lifting for me where, um, and I think we all go through this when we encounter the Enneagram, where we're like, this is amazing. Um, Who are the people groups or the communities that need this tool the most? And, um, you know, Claire, you were one of the first people that talked to me about that third act being statistically like one of the most potent for transformation and productivity. And I'd never heard that anywhere before. And it was just such... A beautiful idea. And the first thought that came to my mind was so, wouldn't it be great if this particular demographic could have more access to the Enneagram because it could just help resolve, you know, inner tension that perhaps they've carried their entire lives and bring closure at the end of life. And then I started having this question maybe they don't feel like they need tools like the Enneagram at, at that point in life. Maybe there is so much of a letting go that's happening, that there is even a letting go of the need to resolve the the tensions of the personality. Does that make sense? So I'm wondering, mm. I'm wondering in your opinion, mm. if you, if you have anything to say to that.
1: Oh gosh, I have so much to say about that. Do we have another hour? Sure. But I'll say it like a good three. <laughs> I'll say it like a good three. Um, when I first started studying the Enneagram and they said that threes were producers, yeah, I I know that I had worked in some of those ways throughout my lifetime. But as I had and was ending my 30s, going into my 40s, I wanted to be a reproducer mm. from a place of intimacy with God and with people. I wanted to be a reproducer. So I think that when you say, People, as they get older, are letting go of those needs with the personality. Yes, because we're talking about essence. We're talking about the truest thing about you. We're talking about your id. We're talking about your, if in my my faith tradition, your Christ in me self. Uh, the place where when you're centered, you're able to access what the fruit of the moment is that is needed. And so we're not clinging, grasping, trying to be good, trying to be loving, trying to be effective, trying to be, uh, you know, original, trying to be all the way around the circle. But we're, um, we're reproducing from a place of intimacy. We're in intimacy. So we're bringing out what is most true about us without all the effortfulness, but we're in flow, free, loving, open and welcoming. Free, loving, open, and welcoming. And there's something so lovely that happens when it's not about personality, but it's about flow. And I know that Richard Rohr uses flow too, and I'm happy to to hear that. Um, I actually love the kind of synchronicity when I hear... Father Richard saying what Thomas Keating used to say, what my dad used to say. I, I feel like there's a uh, like there's an open heaven for some wisdom that is happening through people like yourselves. Like your podcast is Fathom. So I had to look up what the word meant, right? Like, and And so what is the definition of Fathom for you all? I'm not even gonna give you the definition that I came up with, but what is Fathom for you? One fathom at a time, Enneagram people.
2: <laughs> it's it's a way to measure the true depths of something, but in a way that we can manage and contain.
1: Yeah. Mm, and rather than out here, we're trying to get it from out here. Right. And so, uh, you know, I I think I didn't answer the question, but I said something worth value somewhere in there. Yeah. You guys, mindful. <laughs> Absolutely. <it? laughs>
4: no, that's great. I, I think it is. The, the traditional measurement is, is, a, is like an arm span. So what is within your reach to grasp? Um, and so 10 fathoms would be, I don't know, for me, right, six foot, and roughly that's my arm span, right? So that'd be 60 feet. So what is within my reach to grasp at this moment, where I'm at?
1: Mm. Or maybe rather than grasp, um, more second half of life word might be open to. Sure, you know. Sure. And uh, not that grasping is in sure. anything but what it is, but mm. but I see you as more open than grasping. That's what I pick up mm. from you Creek. I see you more open than grasping.
3: Mm. Um, I did want to just ask about flow. I liked how you you broke down that as an acronym. But yeah, just it it seems as though as one is like truly growing in their personhood, um, in the dynamics of their personhood, that flow is becoming more of a a truly um, accessible stage rather than Mm -hmm. a state. What I'm wondering is if there were what helped you most get into flow consistently. I guess, is the question I'm, I'm oh, trying yeah. to it's like Does that the, make sense?
1: It's the $6 million question right here. Uh, so <laughs> for me, it was opening all three centers of intelligence as being true about me. It was, I am not just a heart. I just don't walk into mm-hmm. a room and feel the feelings of all the other people, right? I actually can move away like a nine, take in the holistic experience of what's happening, and ask some really brilliant questions like a six, rather than just moving in. I can move against. I know not everybody uh, uses the Hornavian work in the way that I do, um, but I see sixes as moving against when they ask question and then 10 more questions and need more Mm -hmm. clarification. They wanna stop the process uh, and so I love that flow. Like I'm just, I'm just not a heart and I don't just want to connect and effect mm-hmm. this group of people. I want to move away and take in what's happening here in a way that that feels like it all mm-hmm. belongs and we're all welcome here and practice the nine hospitality along with asking the question and Claire, why do you feel like you need to do that? And tell me more about that. And why do you believe that's yours to do? And is it true? Mm-hmm. And is it helpful? And then I can, and then mm-hmm. so with welcoming all three centers, I'm not on my edge, trapped in type. I'm centered and able to access all mm. three centers of intelligence that are graced and, and given to me. Flow happens there. Thank you. <gasps> Amazing. Well,
0: Claire, this has been so beautiful and um such a lovely conversation. So thank you for joining us today. And can you let our listeners know where they can find your work, maybe find you on social media?
1: Well, I'm not as great on social media, but scottandclairloridge.org. You can find us there. And uh, you can find us, Scott and Claire Loridge, on Instagram, but we... St- Kind of stink there. Spiritual Rhythms for the Enneagram is both on Facebook and Instagram, but uh, we don't do great there Mm -hmm. either. So we do much better in presence. (laughs) We'd rather have you come and train with us and and have dinner at night.
0: Mm. Yes. And the finest wines and Italian sauce. Choice.
4: With Hazel Baden's.
1: Hazel Baden, you like that.
4: Yeah. <laughs> yes. And
1: this name. was a meaningful oh. com- conversation without libations.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Where can people find um, information about your training program if they're looking to to train with you?
1: Yeah, so Scott and Claire Lawridge, L-O-U-G-H-R-I-G-E dot O-R-G or ccmonline.org. Perfect.
0: Thank you. It's been such a pleasure.
4: Thanks for listening to this episode of Fathoms, an Enneagram podcast. If you found this episode helpful in any way, consider sharing it with a friend or family member. We are so honored to be on this journey with you, discovering our inner depths one fathom at a time. Truthwork Media Studios.